All right. Hello and welcome everybody to the Matt Ryan podcast, All Roads Lead to Real Estate. And so I have a wonderful guest, a personal friend and someone that I think in this uh, market, we are at the end of 2023 right now as of this time of recording. And so I wanted to bring somebody who has a wealth of knowledge in the mortgage world because, and I think you'll confirm this, um, that's the first thing I hear when I talk to a buyer and quite frankly, sellers are these darn mortgage rates and interest rates in general and affordability. And it's the first thing I hear. And so I wanted to bring someone that's has a, like I said, a wealth of experience that can relate this to other times, either calm down some of the fears and probably provoke a few others. So it's a mixed bag. And so uh, my guest today is Ayaz Rehamanji. And so he is currently uh, in charge and he's the branch manager and uh, recently the board director at First Home Mortgage. And that's a regional mortgage company uh, that does a good book of business. Uh, and he's located here in uh, Baltimore City in Canton, right on the water. Beautiful spot. And so I'm just going to read your rap sheet for a sec before I do a proper uh, conversation with you. So you've been in business uh, close to 15 years. And so they gave you the uh, the honor of that branch in 2019 and you only had a couple employees then and you've turned that into uh, more than 30 employees and the most profitable branch in first home so congrats on that thank you and so it looks like you've done over 1.3 billion dollars of loans in your career and you're still a relatively young guy i think we're roughly the same age so congratulations on that and you're doing almost 400 million dollars a year in your branch that sound about right yep yeah See? The interwebs are good for this. And so you personally are in the elite eight of your company since you've started in the company and you're a top 1% loan originator, originator in the United States. So I think it's important to get that out there because no one says that many brags about themselves, but it's important to add some credibility because just like in my world as an agent, real estate agent, there's a whole lot of people that love to talk and have virtually no experience, but a lot of opinions. And so... <laughs> I uh, I wanted to make sure you had a little credibility with whatever we're about to say. So hey, well, I appreciate that, Matt. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining me, like I said, and and welcome. Um, and with that introduction, I just wanted to give you the the floor here to try to explain, I guess, how we first met and how I've come to, to start to work with you. It is not easy to work with me, especially in the beginning. Um, I am very, very protective of my clients and my business. And so I I think I think that's interesting to say that basically how we met do you remember that we've been working together for years oh yeah i remember the exact situation it was uh eight years ago we had a mutual well you had a client and you had them under contract a friend of mine referred me to them for a second opinion and um you know obviously if you're the second opinion you got to make sure you're better than the first person and i, I was and i remember i i cl closed the deal got them under con or got them to use me and um, Matt called me right away. He's like, "How are you doing this? What's going on here? What are you doing?" My clients. Well, I think you're. I think you're missing a little part from my perspective. I don't want you. I didn't want him to choose you. Oh no way! You he, wanted me out. I wanted you out because you were an unknown entity to me. Um, and I have people that I trust and respect, and I didn't want him to use an unknown entity. As. I was like, no, we're not doing that. You want nothing to do with me. No, that that's the best part of the story is that I absolutely. I was trying to protect my client and trying to make sure that I could safeguard the variables in which I can control which part of it is lender. Yep. And um, I remember that exact conversation. And then, you know, eventually you were like, all right, well, we need to meet. 
like now, like this week. I'm like, okay, tell me where and when. We met at Bluestone and Timonium. There you go. Um, we were, at the time, the client was under contract and things were, you know, going the right way. And um, Matt came with 50 questions for me. And, you know, he's like, look, I don't meet people for as lenders. I was like, okay, you know, you know, you asked me to meet. So I just want to talk this through. And we asked, you know, he asked me a bunch of questions and I was like, all right, I think this is going the right direction. Wasn't really sure what was going to happen. And I, uh, I ba- babysat that loan to make sure every single second that thing was going the right way. Cause I was like, if this doesn't go the right way, like this is never going to work. And, um, the loan closed and we met again afterwards and, um, Matt put his guard down a little bit and, you know, he, op- he's like, look, you know, you, you did what you said you're going to do. You were on time. You, you did, you gave the client what you said you're going to give them. And, um, you know, now we're here eight years later. Yeah, it's been a ride. So it's, you know, for the folks, if you're listening to this and you're in the world of real estate, you might have more understanding to why an agent is so protective over who they refer their clients to. It means a lot because I'm going to work my tail off to do my side of the, of the job. And then I need to partner with a title company and with the lender to get everything through, right? To get it to the finish line. And there are so many lenders, just like so many agents. Oh, yeah. And so many of them are tough and they're they uh, they say one thing and do the other and that they, they can exacerbate the issues. They can fall apart at the end. They can say one thing to your client, which isn't even true. I'm sure you've seen it all. Oh, on yeah. side. It's um, as, as Matt said, there's there's too many lenders. There's too many realtors and, um, you know, fishing through them to find the right people with the right fit. It's, it's difficult. And, um, you know, when Matt refers me a client or it's, you know, his name on the line, too. So because he personally recommended. So I know that was. um. I know that was, you know, one of his biggest fears, which it should be. And he, you know, that's why he properly vetted, you know, me and my team to make sure that we'd be a good fit. And also, um, you know, personality wise, you got to make sure you're, you know, you want someone who's going to call you when they need you and, you know, be there, make sure their clients are serious and vet them properly. And um, I can tell you, I've, I've worked with a lot of different real estate through my, through my 15 years in the business. And um, Matt is one who will always properly introduce us, um, do his vetting, make sure they, you know, they qualify for a loan. And um, regardless if they've talked to five lenders, 10 lenders, whatever it may be, their best friend could be a lender. Matt will still give them a warm introduction and say, just, just call AS. And, you know, if you, if you have it, if you got a great loan, you're getting a great deal, he'll just tell you. And um, 99% of the time, he'll, I, I can promise you he'll beat it. So um, that's been a, a big help. And, um, you know, Matt's been one of my biggest clients for, for many years. We've closed it, you know, I think, you know, two years ago, it was 25 plus million or so on the buyer side, which, you yeah. know, most realtors do that in, in 10 years and that was just, you know, referred over to us. So, um, it's been, it's been a good, uh, a good partnership and, um, you know, we know how each other work and, um, you know, the good part about how tough it was to get in with Matt, I know the 50 other people call him right now, probably a hundred right now. Um, I know that I don't have to worry about him. Yeah, I don't, I, uh, I'm, I'm pretty loyal, but I'm loyal for a reason. And I tell my clients this, so if you're a client listening, you understand the spiel it's uh, I have very high expectations. So the reality is with loyalty comes expectations that I can't give when you give 15 lenders opportunities. I do a good book of business, but not enough to keep 15 lenders enough business that they care about who I am. And so I think um, that's why we've maintained a relationship is because it's not just you. You have a staff that's good. You have people that work within your branch that's good. So um, this isn't what the whole podcast is about, but I just add some a little bit of credibility here. And so I don't entertain new relationships easily. And I think since in the eight years we've worked together, I probably have one other lender total that I refer business to. So I keep it really tight. And so uh, I thank you for that. And 
getting up to what people probably really care about uh, outside of our liberal blabber, right, is is related to this market. So in 2023, we have experienced a continued change in interest rates. And I know the business from your angle has changed dramatically. Um, I can tell you from my side, it's changed. Our inventory currently is down 43% in the state of Maryland. And we see that because well, I want to hear your angle because I'll tell you my angle. Why do you think we're down inventory? Why are people not listing their homes? Because we need to list a home, correct, to have a buyer to buy it. Sure. So on the on the resale side, new construction, of course, it's 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 trying to catch up. Um, some of the, some of the bottlenecks during COVID are are slowly starting to go away. Um, but they still can't catch up with demand, and also not everyone wants to wait nine months for a home. So on the resale side, the majority of people in America are under four percent, and there's a large majority under three percent right now. People can't stomach going from a 3% interest rate to a 7% interest rate. They look at the numbers and they just say, you know what, unless I have to move, which, you know, generally speaking, if someone's, you know, having a family, getting a divorce, moving for a job, there, there are certain things people have to move for, downsizing, et cetera. But most of the times people want to move. Nobody wants to move when they see the numbers. And that the, the biggest thing is the interest rate lock. A 3% to, you know, unfortunately in the current market today, as we're sitting here, Rates are lingering around at about a seven and a half percent, approaching eight percent. Um, that is the biggest problem: is people do not want to let go of their three percent rate to go to seven or an eight. And I'm seeing it, and I was joking, which is a joke that it's like you cry in, into your pillow occasionally when you're in my uh, career, and this is how every conversation typically starts. I don't have to move, Matt, every single time, and it's one of those things where you still want to deliver exactly the same value, the same service, the same everything to someone who categorically tells you up front, I don't want to move, even nope. though they kind of want to move, but they don't really want to move. Yeah. And so it's a challenging thing from my side. And I know from the lender's perspective, everybody's watching every dollar because of rates. And I think you are being shopped. And what I mean by shopped is when you go out and you're shopping multiple lenders, unlike anything I've ever seen. And, and so you have to fiercely not just deliver the service and the value that I told you I expect. But now you have to be also categorically competing against these other national brands that have none of that, right? So you have to be the cheapest guy or at least equal the cheapest and deliver local service and value and all the things that we would want. Yeah, and that's that's one of the difficult parts right now um, in, our, in our industry is people are they, – they want, you know, they want the best service, but then they go online to, you know, the Bank of Oklahoma and they're someone who doesn't even know – you know, a local market, like I, I don't know what the transfer tax are in Oklahoma. I know what they are in Baltimore City, Baltimore County, Harvard County, et cetera. Um, I could tell you them right now. Um, that's the biggest thing is they don't care when they go under contract for $5 a month because, as Matt said, they're looking at every penny and they want to make sure they're getting the absolute best deal, but also the best service. So a lot of times we have, you know, a lot of clients that go under contract, they start calling a bunch of people. 99% of the time they come back or they go to another lender because they've promised them all these things. Then at the end of the day, the numbers just don't match up. And then we, we're back to square one and we're cleaning things up. So right. um, um, Matt does do, do a great job of explaining the good and the bad of everything. And usually it works out. But um, yeah, our, our biggest issue on the lending side is there's still too many lenders. There's there's too many lenders out there that are they're promising things because they're, they're desperate for business. And um, it's just hurting the industry you know, on the, on the long run. Yeah. And I think in a weird way, there's always a positive with every hardship, right? So I think there's going to be some tough times currently and in the and still in the future for lenders. And so do you see a, a consolidation of lenders around the country or has it already happened or or are there going to be bankruptcies in the lend, lending world? I know commercial lending is 
is doomed. Oh yeah. Um, you know, I personally don't do a lot of commercial business. However, um, the writing's on the wall there. That's no secret. Yep. Um, what is it? One point seven trillion dollars of commercial debt is going to be resetting right the to current market interest rates because a lot of them are on three five year balloons. Yes. Correct. So these balloon payment. The, so the commercial world is going to be. I mean, there'll be opportunities if you want to buy commercial coming up in the next twelve to eighteen months, like you've never Absolutely. seen. Absolutely. So that's coming up, but in the residential world, what do you say? So um, last year, I believe the number was somewhere in the 20% range of, of loan officers not renew their licenses. So every at the end of every year, you have to take continuing education. You have to pay X amount of fees per state per um, license you have. Um, I would predict the number would be somewhere in that ballpark, if not greater. So we've seen some people leave the industry. Um, I think we'll see even more um, coming at the end of this year. Also, see a lot of companies go out of, like either go out of business, sell their book of business. Um, once you know, when you do a loan, you're tied to that loan for usually about seven years. So, um, Fannie and Freddie, you know, the biggest investors in mortgage. saying that just as point of reference, most people stay in their home for roughly seven years. Yep. Yeah. And uh, on the mortgage side, um, we're tied to that loan for for about seven years as well. So, um, if a loan goes bad, it does go back to the lender, and they are they are you know fined for it. Um, that is starting to catch up more and more to lenders that were doing things just to do business. Um, in addition to that, a lot of lenders are just saying it's not worth it. You know, we made our money in 2020, 2021, the run's over and, you know, it's, it's time to move on. So I think we'll not only see a lot of loan officers get out of the business, I think we'll see a lot of consolidation. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of banks who are, you know, generally some of the largest mortgage, mortgage providers in, in the country, like Wells Fargo, for example, was the largest mortgage lender in the country for, you know, 10, 20 years. Um, they recently exited out of the correspondent business, um, and they've also shrunk their retail business where they only want a bank customer. They don't want the random person off the street that says they want a mortgage. Um, a lot of big banks, Bank of America, Chase, they only want their current clientele, which is they don't want to take on the risk. Mortgages are you know, known to be a risky business. So sure. um, that's kind of that we're seeing a lot of people exit on the correspondent side, broker side, every angle we are. Um, and we're seeing loan officers themselves leave. So I think we'll see a lot of that throughout the year. Um, and in January and February, when people look at their books from last year. And yeah, I think I think you'll see a chain. A lot of people you'll see right now that are in the business will, will not be in the business still. And I know that's a fact on the real estate agent side. We have a failure rate of roughly 70% over a three-year period. So that's the number of people that get licensed that leave the business. That's been consistent for a very long time. It will be higher than that now. Um and so we expect a lot of turnover in the real estate world. That's why the top 500 agents in the state typically remain pretty stagnant um, because they're willing to, you know, they have enough book of business. They understand the habits of successful people in this business. That's why, although we're going through tough times relative to the years past, we expect to make it right because we have the habits and the systems sure. to make it through. Um, but it's going to be a lot of shakeup. But I always look at, at, at the market at whole. And if you're listening to this and you're trying to think out, how does this affect me? Um, it's going to affect everyone because what do you see in the next 12 to 24 months in terms of rates and how is that going to affect not just your line of work, but consumers? Sure. The, and by so, the way, it's a leading question. No one has that true answer, but the Banking Association of America has an opinion <laughs> and I'm curious. Yeah. So a lot of people have their opinions, right? Um, most recently yesterday, the Fed met again and decided they're not going to raise their overnight lending rate but they are open to raising rates again before the end of the year. Um, the biggest thing is when the Fed raises rates, that does not directly affect mortgage rate, it indirectly affects them. So the second that the Fed says that rates 
will be cut, mortgage rates are more than likely drop. Just like when they say they're going to raise the Fed funds rate, the mortgage rates almost doubled or tripled over the last year when the Fed barely touched something. So um, that is a you know common misconception. The Fed raising rates does not mean they don't actually physically raise the mortgage rates. They affect overnight lending, which affects your student loans, your credit cards, your car loans, those kind of things. Um, it's basically the overnight bank lending rate, which is, again, indirectly affects mortgages. Um, over the next year, you know, as of yesterday, the, the new theory is the Fed has one more rate hike, which has put us to, you know, almost a 5.75 on the terminal rate. And they said now they're going to cut twice next year, not four times. And these these presumptions are made off what's called the, the dot plot. So basically take every mem- member of the Fed, they anonymously put a dot on where they think the, f- the rates are going to go, the Fed funds rate, and when they think they're going to cut. Um, before yesterday, they were factored into zero hikes this year in addition and four rate cuts next year. Hmm. Market sold off a lot. Um, again, this stuff can change overnight. If that's being what, what that is being said is rates will be in the you know sevens for for the foreseeable future, probably six to twelve months. Um, most economists don't think that. Most the realtor associates don't think that. Fannie Mae. Most other economists believe that the rates will you know tinker down probably in the beginning of next year to somewhere under six, and you know by the end of next year probably linger in the high fives. Which in a normal market, if you do it historically, like the mid fives are a good rate. You know maybe not in twenty twenty. But historically, if you asked 100 people, a five is a fine rate. And that that is the rate what, what we think is, you know, the make me move rate is probably 5%. If someone's at a 3% rate and they saw a seven and I show them a five in a year, they'll probably be a lot more willing to move than they are today. And I think that's when the gridlock will stop and inventory will, you know, finally start to recover some um, is because people will move at that point. And they'll have enough equity and things like that. Um, an off topic a little bit is, a lot of people ask, you know, is the market going to crash? Should I wait? Um, in 2007 and eight, the biggest difference was people did not qualify for mortgages. There was no doc loans. You didn't have to pay a down payment. It was it's a wild, wild west is what we call it. Sure. Um, today, 2020, 21, 18, 19, whatnot, it's hard to get a mortgage right now. You have to be a very qualified buyer. In addition, when you're buying a home, like, you know, a lot of these contracts that Matt writes and other reals right. You're going over list price. You're offering cash for these appraisal gaps. You're you're very well qualified to buy a home, not only on paper but also asset wise. Um, these homes are not going to foreclose. They're not going on a short sale. People aren't letting them go, and they've also appreciated so much since they are purchased that even if they, when they when they sell, there's equity in them. So that's the biggest difference today than 2008 and nine. And I think um, people need more education on that to know that. If you, there's no waiting for this crash, that's there's not that's not crash is not going to be there. Yeah, and so the issue is is there's so much information and so many news outlets that that what you just said is not sexy in the sense that it's not going to get us fifty thousand clicks when I publish that. You know, it's like stability is here. Um, that doesn't help sell ads <laughs> or clicks. And the reality is, it's like if you know, it's just like us coaching a client through this. I wish I could tell you in six months the the prices are going down and rates will be cut by 2% and it's going to be so affordable it's the best time in two months or six months or a year. That's unlikely to happen based on everything you just said and the reality is if it makes sense to buy now and you can afford to buy now at 7.5% interest, you should be purchasing if you need to and you can always refinance in a year, two years, whenever rates do come down 
And I always say, if we're totally off base and everyone's wrong and the rates go to 10%, you look really, really smart. You know, that seven and a half sounds really good if rates are 10. Yeah. And a couple other things with that is, okay, so like today, a average money market account is between four, four and a half percent. CDs are five, five and a half percent. So if you're paying a mortgage rate of a seven and a half and you're making five percent of your money, then the difference is two and a half percent. That's not bad. Yeah. Um, and people got to look at things that way too. Like in 2021, you're making zero percent of your money. So when you look at the bigger picture, um, it's not just just all about the rate. Um, the biggest difference is home values are a lot higher than they were a couple of years ago. So people are, you know, they're looking at, hey, I'm paying more for this house. Um, the rate's higher. It's costing me more. Gas is more. Eggs are more. Milk's more. So look at the total picture, and that is crushing a lot of people from buying homes. But yeah, if you can afford today to buy a home, I would highly suggest it. Um, there's a meme I saw on, online the other day that was like, there's one person running at a seven and a half percent rate, then there's three to seven, then there's five to six, and there's twenty to five, and that's reality. When rates are five percent, which they, you know, looking at cycles, they always go up and down. Um, the market will be absolutely nuts. So probably nuts at six percent right now. And Maryland is seasonal to an extent. Um, you know, it is generally a little slower, and you know, after the holidays, you know, January, February, whatever, and then March really picks up. A little lag in the summer, then you know, falls usually pretty good. Um, that will happen, but when Interest rates drive it more than seasonality, as we saw in 2020 and 2021, even in 2022. Um, so, yeah, if you can afford it and it makes sense, there's, there's no reason not to try it. And, you know, at, at some point you can refinance. And um, people think it costs a fortune to refinance. It, it doesn't. If you stick with the same lender, generally speaking, you know, we're talking a couple thousand bucks. Let's call it two, three, four, five thousand bucks, which is usually about a mortgage payment, maybe a mortgage payment and a half. And you don't have to pay it out of pocket. You can just roll into the loan. So, um, when you buy a home, of course, there is more closing costs, but they're, you know, they're within reason now. Um, so my suggestion is don't be scared of refinancing. You know, a lot of people think it's this big, scary, bad thing. It's not, it's very normal. Um, and to refinance a couple times, that's okay too. Cause some people say you're at a seven and a half today and rates are six and a half in six months. It's okay to take that and then refinance again to five and a half in a year and a half. Right. Cause you think about the amount of times you like, why, why stay to seven and a half till rates drop to five and a half, the amount of extra money you're paying. You're, you're you're literally throwing it away. So um, that concept, it's like it's hard for people to get over. I would say education was better in that regards. Than- no one has, and that, that's a question I have written for you. I is about education of the folks that we serve that don't have any basis of understanding of what we're describing, and we're speaking in generalities, but everybody's situation is different. So when I'm helping a first-time home buyer in the first, you know, entry-level purchase price. The affordability is key. They're not thinking about their money market accounts or their CD rates. They don't have savings for all this. You know, it's just like I need to be able to afford a payment. Yep. And they say, well, I'm paying $2,000 in rent. So what do they say? I want to keep my payment at $2,000, right? That's like the first thing they say. Absolutely. And I want to own the home, but I want to pay the same or less than I currently pay in rent. That's what I, it's all about the dollars, cash flow. Can I afford it? And then if you're dealing with someone who's affording a, their second or third house and it's a move up house, a million dollar house, very different conversation. Yep. And typically it comes back to their education and their experience level. And so I encourage people, if you're listening to this and you've stuck this far through, you're probably someone that's going to be more educated and understand what's appropriate and not appropriate given the market and not be swayed by people that are screaming fire, fire, fire. And you're running around crazy. I have this, some of the same clients that have been looking for two or three years with me that could have bought at 3% when prices were 20% less. 
And they're still looking because they wanted either perfection or that was too scary then. Do you remember how scary it was for some people when rates were low because they also thought the sky was falling then? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's all perception in that regards. And yeah, it, it's harder for people to swallow the pill now because, yeah, when they, when they look an SMS at them two years ago, they're like, oh, my God, this is terrible. But everything's more expensive. So yeah. it's, it's all relative. And like also the first time home buyer thinks they need 20% to put down because their parents told them that because, you know, 30 years ago, you had to have that. Honestly, on a normal loan these days, three to five percent is pretty normal, and there are, depending on you know your income level and where you're buying, um, there are incentives for first-time home buyers that can save them you know a portion or sometimes all of their down payment. And a great example: we closed on Friday with someone together with a buyer, and they put five hundred dollars out of pocket. This was a roughly three hundred thousand dollars starter yep. home. They put five hundred dollar deposit down, and they had a refund. Of like three hundred dollars itself. Yeah, basically got basically got in the house for free minus their home inspection. Yeah, they they paid a couple hundred dollars to buy a three hundred thousand dollar house out of pocket because of the the grants you were able to find them yep. and everything else. We were able to get seller help. It's called from the seller where they contribute a couple thousand dollars, a couple percent back to the buyer. So there are still opportunities out there for people. And I always say it because I take it with a grain of salt. You're listening to a salesperson and a mortgage salesperson. So I always recognize who we are and what we are. But sometimes salespeople aren't exactly selling you, they're telling you the truth. And with an asset, which is a home, um, sometimes you have to listen occasionally and recognize when advice is good. And, and I know you own real estate, I own real estate, and and buying real estate long-term is a great decision. I can't, because you know anyone that can say that that's not an accurate statement? No, I mean, that's, that's very accurate, whether you live in it, whether it's investment property, second home, whatnot. Um, anyone who bought a home, even in the last year, is cheering right now, because what they could sell for today is significantly higher than any any other investment they have. Um, and again, the rates are the rates, they'll go up and down over time, and when things are, when the rates are in the 5%, people won't care anymore, and the market will be, will be nuts again. Um, the other variable factor is, um, COVID happened, which made the ability to work remotely. That's something we've never seen ever in the housing market. And that, you know, hasn't, won't change at this point. And that makes people not have to live where they work. Um, a lot of people are moving to suburbs or moving to different communities. They're not just, you know, staying in a condo in the city, um, which is really going to, you know, that, that changes the inventory forever. Um, and the, you know, with the baby boomers happening too, now it's like 2022, three, four, five, is when there's the most people we've ever seen by home. So when you combine that with the COVID effect of the work from where you want to work, the, the combination is is making the inventory tough. And then the move up buyers want to move because the rates are 3%. So um, that that's really the solution. You, you, you physically can't build homes fast enough. There's not enough homes where people want to live um, to change the inventory status. So the rates will change. Inventory is not going to change tomorrow, regardless of what happens. Yeah, it's not going to change quickly. Rates will drive inventory change, which is what you've already stated. And so the the soundbite, if you will, is that the status quo of rates in the sevens, for example, probably at least six months or longer. Very likely. It's very likely. And so rates eventually will come down. So on the investment side, and I have investors that buy homes and they rent them out. I tell them if, if the numbers make sense and it still cash flows at this interest rate level and you have a fixed rate, your worst case scenario is built in, right? Worst case, are rents yep. going to go down dramatically next year or any other time? Probably not. 
So you're pretty safe in that regard. And so when you do get an opportunity to refinance, your cash flow will go back and you've locked in a price for today because I don't anticipate prices either. That's the extra thing that people don't. Prices are not likely to go dramatically down if you want to believe everything that we've been reading. Um, it's just not likely to see prices crash 30%. And it's funny, I see things online that state 40% reduction in pricing coming next week. You know, crashes are coming around the corner. And I'm just, I'm so reluctant. Like when you click on it, you just help someone get money. So that's, does that make sense? Like you're, you, that, if it wasn't outlandish, it wouldn't result in the outcome in which they want. Cause I don't know any expert that agrees with them personally. Yeah, correct. And again, it goes back to what we're talking about that people that bought homes can actually afford the homes and there's equity in homes um, is the why that the crash is non-existent. Foreclosures aren't there. Those, those components were again years and years ago when you could when it was easy to get a mortgage. Now it's more difficult. So um, people are waiting for it. So I don't know why. I mean, again, there's no economist, there's no realtor, there's no anybody who would tell you that the crash is is inevitable because it's not. Um, if anything, it's it's that the complete opposite as we we're saying. And like like you're saying about investment properties, investors don't care what the rate is on the mortgage. They they care what the cash flow is versus the rent. That's it. And I pay twenty percent if I get cash flow the right number. Yeah, because it, it, it's all an investment. Again, when you're doing a primary residency, it's even it's a little different. Of course, you're living there, it's whatnot. Um, but also with the tax deductions, I mean, interest under seven hundred fifty thousand dollars in a home is completely tax deductible. So it's like, why not? Why not take advantage of that? So even if your rent, if your rent is the same, or say it's a little bit higher, right? Let's say your 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 rent's two thousand, your, your mortgage is twenty five hundred. It's kind of the same thing at the end of the day when you take the tax deductions, and then on top of that, the equity that you're going to get in the home. It's it's good to talk to a lender who's who can educate you on those things. Who can show you what's called an amortization schedule that'll show you if you stay in this home for five years, what it's going to be worth, and then Matt can help you predict, you know, based on assumptions, what the home will be worth in five years at a, you know a steady appreciation. Those numbers are crazy. If you look at the combination of what you're paying down the home, the amount of interest you're writing off, plus the appreciation, I mean. It's there's no other investment that you could add three different variables together and it makes sense. Plus you're living there. Yeah, I mean you have to live somewhere, but I I always go and try to think of all the negatives. What because that's what a lot of people focus on. And so, I mean most of this conversation, if you can't tell, folks, it's because this is the the literally our daily lives. These are the questions we get asked. It's every day, all day. It is really like uh, doomsday almost. Oftentimes when you talk to somebody, how scared and nervous people are about making decisions in this market. And um, I think part of our job is to help guide people through it in a way that makes sense, where you're not you know, telling people there's no risk and everything's perfect, and, but also being realistic with what makes sense for them financially and for their family. And what doesn't make sense, let's just let's talk about someone who's renting. If you're renting and I can tell you what I can get, I charge for a townhouse around here $2,500 for a pretty nice, decent standard townhouse around here. And that's a pretty modest townhouse. That's nothing fancy. You can get a mortgage for that, right? And so yeah. it it doesn't make sense when they're extending multiple years into these leases because it's a quote unquote bad time. I encourage them to get pre-approved, see what they could afford and make a decision as opposed to closing your ears saying, I heard on the news it's bad and that's it. I'm just going to put my head down and pay these crazy rents. Um, yeah, and a couple of things too. The news is always weeks and weeks behind. So what you do see on the news, it's usually if, if they say rates going up, they might have gone down already. Who knows? It could be a various different uh, amounts of things. Um, but when it comes to the rental side of it, 
yeah, there are people we see in these, you know, these just keep renewing, keep renewing, keep renewing because they just think it's a bad time. But, um, you know, my advice would be talk to talk to us. Let us run through your numbers. We don't always tell them they can get a mortgage either. So, it's you know, there are plenty you of turn times. turn down plenty of people. Yeah, there, yeah unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately, there's plenty of times where, A, we can't do the loan. Or there are also times when we just look at the numbers and say, look, you can afford this today. But, like, you know, there are times where we said, I would recommend you wait six or nine or 12 months, save X amount of dollars and get your payment where you want to. So we're not, I know we're salespeople, but we're not just telling everyone, hey, let, 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 come on, let's buy a house today. It's There are plenty of times when we either unfortunately have to turn someone down and said, you know, you have to wait, or we recommend you wait and said this, you know, unfortunately based on what your current circumstances are, I personally would wait until you have more money saved, more income, you know, maybe, a, you know, a lot of times they have younger children, they might be getting out of daycare because obviously everyone knows that's a big expense. So there's lots of variables out there. Um, and again, is it, if you, if you can afford to buy and it makes sense, definitely do it. But again, we're, we're going to do our best to give you the right advice. Um, whether it's by today or in a couple of months, um, you know, we're, we'll always do what we can to make sure that, you know, you're probably educated. So I think I beat that horse as hard as we can beat that horse. So I, I want to go on to the next question here. Um, and so one of the things I get questions for, all right. So I, when I try to prepare for what I want to discuss with you is help to address directly some questions that I have to answer, quite frankly, on lenders' behalf. So a common question I have, and we have not prepared for this, so this is you on the cuff actually having to answer these. By the way, this is intentionally done. Um, so I want you to directly explain the differences from your point of view, right? Because you've worked for the what I call the big box lenders, right? So these are the big, big boys, like the Rocket Mortgage, the Wells Fargo, or yep. the you know, the big guys that are national, that have offices everywhere. And um, I want you to explain how is that different in your mind versus a regional mortgage company or a local company more similar to what you do? Um, the easiest answer would be red tape. You know, these big institutions, and I, I worked at one of them, it's they're in the mortgage business because it's part of their, one of their arms of, you know, whether it be investment, investments, insurance, banking, et cetera. Where I work now is first time mortgage. It's just a mortgage company. We breathe mortgages. We live by mortgages. Um, again, like a Wells Fargo, there's a lot of red tape there. They have their own what's called overlays. So um, a normal loan, let's call it the debt to income ratio, go to 50%. They may say they're comfortable with 43% or 40%. So not only they're going to limit you to what you actually can afford or qualify for, um, there's generally a lot of you know, up middle, upper, et cetera, management. So you know, you may not get the best price per se. Um, and third, they're not nimble. Every situation is a little different. You might have made a little more commission last year and made a little this year. You might have made more over time last year and more this year. Things change, unfortunately. No one it's not not everyone's WT where they make the exact same amount. So um the ability that we can call an underwriter and, and explain to them a situation and get a yes or no answer. That to me is the most important thing above all else that we could talk about in mortgages. Um, be able to give someone a stern answer up front. Yes, we can do it or you can't um, is the absolute biggest factor of going with a local lender versus a big bank. And I think that's an answer coming from someone that's in your position, right, in the lending world. And I can tell you from a real estate agent's perspective, it's a slightly different answer, but similar. I, I feel that when I have to call a 1-800 number, that's closed at 5 p.m. and doesn't hardly answer or respond on a weekend. And I don't know who their underwriters are. I have no one to talk to. My staff doesn't know who to call. It is a disaster. And when 
I, like the hard, the easiest way to describe it is when everything works perfectly and everything is ideal and there's no issues, it's less of a noticeable difference than when you have hiccups. Sure. And when there is any issues at all in that file, which by the way, we can't predict issues. Sometimes they pop up, right? Or it looks squeaky clean until you get down to the third level of an underwrite. You know what I mean? Until the oh, yeah. granule. Anything can happen. And then you go, oh crap. That is where I see the difference. And when I advocate for people to not simply look at the rate, but to look at the rate in addition to the rest, it's because of the issues that happen. And my favorite thing about my folks that I like to recommend is that you take care of problems before I know about them. And you like to tell me after the loan closes of all the issues that happen and I never heard about it. Or there was an issue and the client never heard because you managed for a week straight to knock on all the doors. You've called the president of the company. You've done all kinds of crazy things to get things through. Yeah, I'm on, if I'm calling you with an issue, that means it's the absolute, like there's nothing else we can do. I need your help. Uh, but yeah, nine times out of 10, we'll, we'll, we'll fix them up front. You know, we do a lot of due diligence up front too. Um, the other biggest thing between a rocket mortgage and us is we want your pay subs, your W-2s, your tax returns, your bank statements. We we, we, we all make it mandatory before we give you a pre-approval letter. A rocket mortgage, you know, their big thing is push button, get mortgage. That's not reality. Yeah, um, well, they don't look at the things that we look at. And as a real estate agent, um, when they see first time mortgage on the list side, they're like, okay, we we know A is personal, we know the company, we know they've vetted this, they've vetted this client to make sure they are eligible. Um, versus when they see these random banks on there that are from another state, they're like, they don't feel comfortable. And that's a big deal when you're trying to get an offer accepted versus five, 10, 20 other people. Um, you're not going to win with one of those lenders. So um, I think that makes us stand out, I think, and much I, I want to reiterate what you just said, because you have to understand how real that is. That comment, if you're coming from another state, if I, okay, I live in Maryland. If I was going to buy in Texas tomorrow and I called an agent, first off, you find a good real estate agent that you trust, right? You interview, you make sure they feel, you feel that you're in good hands. If they said, I have a go-to lending professional that's local, even though I I have other people, I'm going to say, okay, I trust you, right? I'm going to get pre-approved with your guy or girl, right? Because I want, when you present my offer, to have some credibility in the local market. So they know your lender, right? Because everyone around here knows you and knows your bank. And that adds value. If there's five offers, they're if they're very similar, they're going to take the sure thing. My job as a listing agent is to mitigate risk on top of get the best value in the best terms, right? So if there's similarities, how do I differentiate? It's going to sometimes come down to, how do I trust these other factors? And you better believe as a listing agent, I care about who you get your loan from, or if you claim it's cash, you better believe I'm verifying cash. I'm just trying to eliminate issues because my client loves me until they don't love me. And they will not love you if I screw up the deal because I didn't do my job and vet you know, the buyer side. So I just wanted to reiterate how valuable that is. And it's not a sales pitch. This is reality. That's that's part of a listing agent's job. And the other part about me being local, us being local, is we care about not only Matt, his client, we care about the listing side. We, we know that realtor person. We don't want them to turn away a pre-approval later. If someone's in, in Rock and Morgan in, in Michigan, they don't know who Matt is. They don't need an expert. They don't care. They, don't, they might never do another loan in Maryland. So to them, it's irrelevant. It's literally just that deal closing they don't know the client they're never going to meet the client for us it's this deal the client's next deal matt's next deal listening to his next deal like for us it's a reputational risk and that to you know is the most important to lender is having the best reputation if we close 
everything on time the right way and that you can't you can't buy that you can't get it overnight we've been in business for 31 years and we've had that and we don't ever want to lose that which is why we won't we won't tell someone they're pre-approved until they're actually pre-approved and that's the next question i have for you so if i'm listening to this and i want to start the process right i want to get a house even if i bought a house before it could have been years ago what do you need for me typically how painful is it as a buyer to get this process started what should I expect to have to give you? How long does it take? So give me the basics. Sure. Um, it's definitely different whether you bought a house a year ago or five years ago, especially if you bought a house 10 years ago. Yes, we are going to need a lot of your stuff. That's, let's get that out of the way up front. It's not It's not a, hey, call me and five minutes later, I'll tell you pre-approved. Um, we, we do need to pull a credit report. We do have options to pull a soft pull, which is not a hard pull. But again, if you have good credit, a hard pull is not going to do Can anything Can I just to you. tell you my credit? You cannot just tell us credit. Everyone tries that, which is great. And it, we love when people tell me they have 800 credit because we know it's probably pretty good. Um, but we do need to report. And the reason we need a credit report is because we need to actually run your loan through underwriting ahead of time. What does underwriting mean? So there's an automated underwriting system. that's Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. I'm sure everyone heard of. We actually run your credentials. We put your income, your assets, your credit, everything about you into a loan file. And we run that through a decision engine, which gives us an approval or an ineligible non-approval. And you do that up front? Up front on every single loan. And every time you give me a different property with a different price and different down payment, we rerun it again. Are you pulling my credit every single time you do that? We are not. We are pulling your credit one time. Got it. And am I dropping 100 points when you pull my credit? You're dropping at most two to five points, if that. Gotcha. So credit drops, if you, if you go to the mall... You open up five credit cards, the credit companies are going to look at like, what's going on? Why does this person need five credit cards? That's a problem. Your credit score will drop. It'll drop if you have utilization, like high credit card balances versus what the um, what you can actually take out on them. You're missing payments, those kind of things. Um, and when you get pre-approved, we need your pay stubs. We need your W-2s. If you're commissioned, we need, we need your tax returns. Um, if you own a business, we need everything you have. And we need to talk to your accountant. And we have to vet you. Um, but the good part is once we do that up front, we take the painful part out of the way and then Matt can go show you a house and make it happen. But, and I'm acting as a buyer here. This is what we hear. Um, but I'm looking right now, right? I don't want to buy for a few months, maybe six months. Like, why am I doing this? I just don't show me. I want $600,000 homes, Matt. Do it. Absolutely. But, um, you never know when you're going to find the right one. You also don't know if you, A, you can afford it or if it's, or if you're comfortable with it. So the reason that Matt will direct you to us first is so... You can say, okay, I, I can tell you, we need this much down. Here's your payment. Here's what it looks like. Um, we don't. The last thing we want you to do is, is to go find your six hundred thousand dollar home, and then a you can't afford it, or the payment's way out of your comfort zone. And then Matt's showing you four hundred thousand dollar homes. You're like, this is a joke. Oh, so you want me pre-approved so you don't waste your time or my or Matt's time, right? Or anybody's time. Yeah. Yes. Everybody. Everybody involved. And we also want to make sure your expectations are realistic. Um, we owe that to the sellers, too. When when Matt's calling a listing agent, sending an appointment, he's saying that this buyer is pre-approved and can buy your home today. If you were a seller, wouldn't you want the same respect? I would. It's actually a code of ethics. I'm only supposed to bring potential buyers through that are ready and able and willing to potentially yeah. buy. Which I think is fair. It's technically code of ethics. So if I'm bringing my cousin who doesn't you know, have any credit and is not approved... I am violating my code of ethics because you're inconveniencing everyone. I'm opening up the door. It's you're not supposed to be doing. That's this. what an open house is for. Yeah, Go to your nosy house. neighbors. Correct. But I was kind of joking. So when they say your waste, don't you're protecting your own time, Matt or AS, right? That's why you want me pre-approved. 
there isn't there is a modicum of truth to that statement sure however I also want to protect my relationship with you as a buyer and a potential client. Absolutely. And that is real because there is nothing more depressing and horrible than you telling me a price point. We've spent three months looking at homes in that price category. Finally, you find the home and you get pre-approved to realize that's a thousand dollars more a month than I'd ever want to spend. Now, if I readjust it and look a hundred thousand dollars less, do you think those homes look the same as the other home? Not at all. Now, do you think we could find the best home in that price category and you might still be less than enthused? (laughs) Like, are you thrilled with me? Am I a professional in your eyes at that point after spending that time, energy, effort? Not at all. Sending the homes you like to your friends, family, and colleagues? Like, it's a miserable experience. And it's like, uh, it's part of our job, right? So if you're listening to this and you understand the energy, it's because it's the same conversation day in and day out to try to protect your interest and say, the first thing we need to do is figure out the money side. Yep. Um, and the other side is that a lot of times people look at homes on the weekends, right? They go, or the, right now the average listing goes, what, Thursday, you'd call it, maybe Friday. You see the home on the weekends. A lot of sellers do take a couple days to make a decision because they do have multiple offers now. They might set a deadline for what's called a Sunday evening. So Matt's going to call me Saturday at five o'clock and say, hey, as we have this buyer, they want to write X amount on this property. Can you send a pre-approval and some numbers over? No problem, but if I don't have your information, then you got to go through your stuff, give me your pace, WW2s. Like, we'd rather get that out of the way because, yeah. like, it's not the fun part. So, Matt gets to show you this beautiful home. You love it. Shopping's and, fun. Yeah. Why would you yeah. want to, when you're trying to figure out the price and how to set the deal up with Matt, why would you want to waste your time getting me your pay stubs? Like, let's get that out of the way up front. That way, during the process, that's, that is something we know, we know what we need up front. You don't know which house you're going to buy and what you're going to offer for it. That is going to be a moving target. Figure out with us what you can afford, what makes sense. That way you can be clear-headed. You and Matt can figure out the right price, the right strategy. Right. Um, hey, do you need to sell your house or do you not need to sell your house? Are you a first-time home buyer? Do you need to grant? We need to get that information up front to make you the most powerful buyer you can be. Otherwise, you're not going to win the house you want. And before I open my fat mouth as your representative, as your agent, I need to know, do we need to negotiate for seller credit because you need that extra $10,000 from the seller? Do we need uh, a certain amount of um, a lot of time to close because you have a home to sell? Because maybe you don't know you need to sell it in order to afford the next one. So there's all these variables that I, until we get fully pre-approved, I don't even know how to represent you. So how, when I talk to the other agent, can I give them any information? Because I don't even know. Um, so there's all these variables. So hopefully it's we've painted a pretty clear picture that truly the first thing I do is a consult, get to understand your wants, your needs, your desires. The very next thing, I hand them over to a local lender that can do the full pre-approval process with you, which how does it take a couple days, weeks? How long does that take? If you are just say, you know, not a business owner, a normal employee, W2, we could turn that around in, in 24 hours. And from a buyer's perspective, how much time and energy does it take for them to give you what you need? It's called an hour to two hours. Hour to two hours. An organized person under an hour. Yeah. It's pretty quick and it's it's a one-time deal. You don't have to do it every time you find a house. Right. You do it one time. And then also if you, when you go under contract, it makes it easier when you need less things from you. When you, you know, worry about your home inspection, worry about when you're going to move, those kind of things. Like get the finances out of the way because again, that's a variable that's not going to change. Gotcha. And so I mentioned it earlier. A question I had is your opinion. This is just me. If I was drinking a beer talking to you, what I mentioned financial literacy of buyers and what you're what you've seen in 15 years. 
I'm just interested to know, and I would like to compare it to what my experience is, what do you view the traditional financial literacy is when folks come to you? Average. Um, so someone who's owned a home, generally speaking, does know more than the first-time home buyer. But if you bought a home 20 years ago, the, the, the marketplace is completely different. So it's almost like we have to re-educate you. And, you know, we get a lot of pushback. Like, I bought a house before. I know I'm doing, well, you know, respectfully, I understand that. Um, the market's just very different. Just like if I was going to buy a car today and I bought a car four years ago, it's going to be probably a different process, different pricing, different things you can do. Same with mortgages. So um, all across the board, unless you're in the industry day in and day out um, in any sort of facet, it's just going to be different. We just, all we're doing is trying to educate you. Um, you know, feel free to ask us any question you want. There's no dumb questions out there. Um, you know, the best client is one who takes our advice and listens to us. And, you know, ask the right questions, gets comfortable, and you takes have our a, advice. What's a common question or two that you've heard consistently? Um, why do you need all this information from me? She's the first one. But um, a lot of the number of questions, do you think rates are going down? Yes, I do. I just don't know when. Um, another, you know, another misconception is, you know, is the market going to crash? No, it's not going to crash. You know, as we, as we said before in the podcast, really, the reasons it's not going to. Um, and then I'd say third is, you know, a lot of people are questioning, you know, the cost of buying a home. Like, you know, there's not only there's there's normal closing costs, but there's there's taxes, there's insurance, there's sometimes mortgage insurance, there's, you know, different fees you pay. And for us, once we preview, we go over all those fees. So it's not like a guessing game. Um, we give you very good estimates of what you're looking for. And generally speaking, we'll make sure that it's not a cent more than what we, we quote you um, is why we spend extra time to do so. So we'll get with the title company. We'll pull the tax records. We'll get your, your insurance company. Um, there's a lot of different pieces that go into this. Um, so we, we you know it does take us time to get all the facts where we need them to. Once we have them, we can give you the information and make you feel more comfortable. And I can, I've had this question, that's so all I'm going to ask you directly. People want to know what lenders make. Why do I have a quote? that could be rapidly or massively different from another quote. So you can see some online vendor for, for I'm making up numbers, right? Six and a half percent. This guy's at six and three quarters. This guy's at seven and a quarter. How are these people so different? They're doing the same thing. Sure, of course. Um, so loan officers don't make money off of the rate or the product or any of that. That was that went away in 2009 and 10. So before, you know, if they charge a higher rate, they made more money. Interesting. So if I charged an extra half a percent, I could, as a loan officer, I could pocket that. Before 2010, yes. Wow. So now the, the loan officer is not incentivized to charge any sort of rate. In the lender, you know, we don't make a difference either based on, you know, the rate or whatnot of that. So basically lenders have to cover their costs and then, you know, pay their loan officers and have some profit in there. The, the issue we're running into right now is a lot of companies are running at, at no profit or they're just quoting a rate and hoping things get better. And the loan officers are, you know, some are desperate for loans. So they're they're doing these things that they shouldn't even be doing that'll catch up through the process. So um, there's a lot of false information. And also, or just because you see an interest rate, there's a cost associated with it. Um, everyone gets the money from the same place. We're going to be about the same. Um, the biggest difference is what you're paying, which is called discount points. I'm sure everyone's heard that term before. Um, what discount points are, it's, it's what you're paying to buy the rate down. If someone tells me they want the best rate, I can get you a 5%. It's going to cost you a fortune right now, but I can get it for you. Um, that's what people need to understand. That's why when someone tells me when, you know, they say, hey, man, I found this other lender. I, I got to compare it to AADS. 
No problem. Send me your estimate. I'll be very transparent with you. I'll look through everything. And if we cannot do something, we'll tell you. If you're getting that great of a deal, by all means, take the deal. I understand. Um, but there's there are costs that go into buying the rate down. And sometimes, unfortunately, some people are not transparent about that. And that's where I'd see the biggest discrepancies are. So there's a cost of money. People borrow money at a certain rate. And then you guys have to take on to that rate and add to it to a certain The risk, extent, the right? cost, et cetera, the compensation, the you know, the different fees that go into doing a mortgage. But yes, we do all start from the same place. It's how efficiently we can get to the end, end result. Got it. And so why do you guys sell your loans, right? So I see banks, they fund the loan, right? You close on a Monday. A couple weeks later, you get something in the mail and says, my loan has been sold. So why do people always like, why do they, why does that happen? What's the practice? What are the f- fundamentals behind that? Sure. So um, to service a loan, which means that's who you make your payment to, um, a lot of large banks that we, we do service, you know, 90 plus percent of our loans now, there's a certain amount of um, capital you have to keep on hand if you do that. And a lot of small lenders don't have the capability of doing so. So they can originate your loan for you and then they'll sell it to a Wells Fargo, a Bank of America, a Chase, because they're large institutions. They can service a loan and have the cash on hand and the capital to, to provide that service So you to originate, you. meaning I give the money out so you can buy your home. And then if I originated, I can discount however much it is, right? Fair market value. Up front. And sometimes I hope they can make it up on the back end um, by, by selling the loan to somebody else. Um, that that's that's a comp project. or it's just you know it's, it's what's the percent do they discount it like one percent like do you sell it for 98 percent of the value or like what's it going right um it's it's unfortunate all there's no there's like, rhyme a... reason to it just whoever who's willing to pay and what day and also um the, the problem with interest rates right now is nobody wants to invest in eight percent mortgage rate because they know rates are going to go down and when they refinance that servicer who you make your payment to no longer makes that fee for your payment every month because that loan will be paid off paid off and then the new person makes the money um that's the other biggest factor of why you can't a lot of people are paying points right now to buy rates down because no one wants to give someone an eight or nine percent rate it just it's not in the market could it be maybe hopefully not for all our sake but um it could happen and that that's the biggest thing is that we you gotta find the, the true picture. What's it really cost to get that rate, and then then kind of go from there. And and this is news to most people. So if I buy a home today and I'm paying, I don't know, seven and a half percent. If rates went down to six and a half percent in three months, and I refinance, do you as a lender lose money if I refinance that quickly? We do. So the average loan you want to keep it for up to six months. So what we do for you know if somebody if if the price is that much better, we'll work with you. We'll either lock your rate longer. You know, we'll, we'll do the refinance at little to no cost for you. It really does work out if we do your loan for you because, hey, two things. We're going to call you right away when it makes sense to refinance because, again, we want we want you to keep you as a client forever. If we know that if, if we give you a seven and a half today and I call you in six months and give you a six and a half, you're going to be happy with me. And when rates drop to five and a half, I'll call you again. Um, so that that is a unique part of the business and using someone like us versus a rocket mortgage who's just going to, you know, there's no one watching every loan. Rates go up and down. So if you don't hit some of these key points over time, you may lose out on you know a lot of money as well. Got it. Yeah, it's just it's interesting. So there's a lot baked into it and to most consumers, they don't really care. But I always find it fascinating because I have some folks that do ask a lot of tough questions and it's it's interesting to hear you say it. So once again, process, don't be surprised if you go and your agent is immediately asking you to talk to the lender. And uh, I get pushback on that and have consults. I just did a podcast recently where we were discussing the purpose of a consult and why should an agent, you know, have a proper consult. And this is the the leading next step is to talk to someone like yourself. 
And uh, I just want to beat that drum as long as I possibly can because it's so vital and so many people don't do it and the resistance from buyers is real. To me, if I'm buying, generally speaking, your home is your biggest investment in your entire life. Why would you not want all the education you can get to make sure you're making the right decision? So I got to have an answer for that, in my opinion. What, Having done this for so many years, I think a lot of folks are nervous to know the real answer to that question. They'd rather live in la-la land and be approved for a million bucks in their head than talk to you and find out that they can't afford it. I'm not that that's not everybody, but there is a percentage of folks that I know for a fact they know their taxes haven't been filed in three years or they it's a mess and they don't want to know it's a mess. They'd rather look at pretty homes. And uh, that's not everybody. But I'll tell you, there is a contingent of folks that fall into that category. Sure. The problem is that's going to come up eventually. So it's like, why waste everybody's time when you don't really know that? Oh, that's the logical part of your brain looking there. Yeah. It's like, why, why I don't want to look at something I can't afford. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. Like, come on. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's true. But it's, I think, uh, it's a, it's exceptionally important now more than ever because sometimes you don't even know what it really cost. It sounds horrible, but then you haven't done the homework. So how do you really know? You yeah. know? And the thing about the cost and the rate too is there's a break even point in everything. So some people are like, I want the lowest rate and they'll pay a couple points and a point is a percentage of the loan amount. So, Five hundred thousand dollar loan, one point five thousand dollars. Some people will say, "Okay, yeah, I'll pay twenty grand right now." But if you rates again, they're projected to drop. Um, you're losing your money then. So it's like you gotta have the right education. You also have to have someone who's honest with you. That says, "Look, I know the rates here, there, and you're paying this, but like this will make sense." And that's what we're always going to do that because again, we want you to be a client for life. We want you to come back. Me and Matt want you to first your friends, your family, your coworkers. Anybody and everybody sure. who wants to buy a home, we, we want to talk to them. And if we do if we don't do you right, you're not gonna send us more business and you know, that doesn't work for anybody. And one of the final questions I have for you, when is it appropriate? Because rates eventually will come down, right? Just as they go up, they also come down. That's natural, it's the market. Uh, when is it appropriate to look for a refinance? If I bought during this rate environment, and I know it's variable, right? So that's something that I know to be true. I want you to speak to that. So it depends on loan amount, right? But what's the traditional typical advice you give The people? traditional advice is if you're going to save more than 1% on interest rate, it makes sense to refinance. The caveat to that is that's based on the average loan amount, let's call it three dollars to $400,000. If you have a million dollar loan and you save a half percent, that would be the exact same equivalent to you saving 1% on a $500,000 loan. Right. Um, so the, my advice is have a really good loan officer up front that will call you to refinance. But if you want just a generic basic rule of thumb, let's call it 1%. But again, the larger the loan, the less you know, less it makes sense. And also, it's also the cost that you pay. If you're at a 7.5% rate and your loan officer calls you tomorrow and says, we can give you a 6.99 no cost, which does happen. There's things called a lender credit, similar to seller credit. But instead of the seller paying for some of your fees, the lender does. And the reason they do that is because they want to keep your business, right? Um, if you can do that and the cost, no cost, there's no reason not to take it. And then knowing that if it goes to six and a half or five, you may do it again, but it didn't cost you anything to get to, you know, to the lower half percent. Right. It always makes sense then. Right. So the key is to have someone on your side, same reason to get pre-approved. So as you look at homes, you can send it to a real local human. They will review it, real taxes, real property, uh, you know, information, upload it and give you a real estimate, right? As you're yes. shopping. 
So it's no different. So once you've made the selection, bought your home, and, you, and you're in, sitting in a mortgage, you can call them. It's a real local person and ask them, is now an appropriate time? I bugged the hell out of you back when rates were falling because I wanted to know, is now an appropriate time? Yeah, um, and, and we'll give your best estimate on what it is. And, you know, it's not really a timing of the market. It's just like, you know, you don't, if you ask someone what's the best time about a stock, it's like yesterday was, but, sure. you know, it's similar to that. It's, you know, you got to do it when it's comfortable. It makes sense. And, you know, you have to look at the break-even cost and, a true mortgage professional can give you that proper advice and help you make that decision. And then this will probably be my last question, so I don't keep you for three years. Um, adjustable rate mortgages, is that is that coming into vogue, so to speak? Is this now the new thing? Are we doing arms again, adjustable rate mortgages? Um, there, there are more of them than there were before because when rates were in the twos and the threes, people were like, I want to lock in forever. Um, there's nothing wrong with an arm. It's for the right person. It makes perfect sense. Um, some people just don't ever want so an arm is a rate that will be fixed for an for a certain amount of time period three five seven ten years etc after that time period's up it can adjust sometimes up to five percent so if you had an arm at a 2.5 percent from five years ago and adjust today you may pay a seven and a half percent some people are uncomfortable with that um, some people are okay with that uh, my advice is it's great to look at the options and your loan officer should be able to show you those different options and how much and, cheaper is a seven one arm seven year arm today not much let's like hold a half percent and similar to the rule of thumb on a on a refinance if you're going to save about a percent it usually makes sense if it's a quarter three eighths or half it usually doesn't all that just up. lock in and lock in and, and, and sleep at night knowing that it's okay gotcha yeah because i hear questions about adjustable rates once again get real quotes you can have multiple quotes right yeah. for the same property get lots of options and and it's is it bad idea to do it on a home that in the early stages that you know you're not going to buy but it's in the category if of it's price, in the price range where you're buying it no i mean a lot of times when we're talking to clients we like to give them a ballpark before they even go out with matt and say okay if you're buying this five hundred thousand house your payment's gonna be about 3500 bucks um that way you know what you're looking at and like a lot of times we'll say hey is there a house you liked on zillow because zillow calculators are not accurate let's put that down yes um at all so why aren't they accurate? They don't include taxes, insurance, mortgage insurance, anything. They don't know your. They don't know what your credit score is. They don't know yep. what you're going to put down on the home. There's a million things why they're inaccurate. Um, any online calculators, I would not just Zillow. So, yeah. um, we I hear want... that so much. By the way, where they say, "I know my payment. It's online. I saw it." Yeah, it's, it's never going to be it's like twenty five hundred. I'm good. I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> so, yeah. um, tax and insurance are real, and people need to pay them. Yeah. So, um, yeah, those those things just don't. Happen. But yeah, we we do. That's that's a best practice my point of view is give us a house that you're interested in in the price range that you want to spend and let us work backwards and give you the numbers well guys that's basically you heard it from the horse's mouth over here so these are all the thoughts and things that i was thinking of and i speak to today i'm sure these are semi evergreen right in terms of if you listen to this in five years it's probably going to be a very different interest rate environment but some of the sage advice that's given is as that's hasn't changed a lot of the fundamentals advice have never the changed same hopefully rates a lot different in not five years but hopefully five months but yeah sure. we'll see. <laughs> yes but it's it's a lot of good advice and so hopefully uh, you guys got something out of this and i appreciate you joining me of course thanks for having me i appreciate it yeah well thanks so much for joining me and uh, i'll talk to you soon thanks